DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to welcome in our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. Steve, when does April seem like August? <laughs> or when does August seem like April? I already screwed it up. I got that backwards. Well, very awesome. when the Jazz and the Mavericks play and Luka Doncic, Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and Donovan Mitchell don't play. That's when August seems like April. <laughs> well, we're going to see a lot of things here and as we finish up these uh, preliminary games. Um, and interestingly enough, um, you know, most everybody kind of sees that the, the Jazz are the one team that really don't really know who they're going to play yet. I mean, they, they could be playing the Clippers, the, the Nuggets, Dallas, you know, who, who knows when we finally get this thing all played out. But uh, they certainly had a big week last week. And I think if you look at all the teams in the NBA right now, they're resting guys, they're taking care of guys. And, um, you know, a lot of people kind of know where they're going to fit uh, in terms of the of the tournament and what, what their seating is. Others don't. And, and the Jazz are one of those that really don't know who they're going to play. We get an idea. But... Uh, I think most important right now is I don't think there's a lot of difference between uh, a lot of these teams anyway, and you want to have a healthy team. And uh, I don't think you want to go into this situation in the coming two or three weeks and not be healthy, especially with your best players. So we're seeing a lot of movement, a lot of guys sitting, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. So the Nuggets and the Jazz on Saturday, double overtime, was just a really, really entertaining ball yeah. game. And my thought is with Bogdanovich out, and, and, and it, it's not going to change. So he's going to be out, and we'll see him next year. But in the meantime, to see Donovan Mitchell do what he did and really everything about him, I'm a big body language guy, and I think that indicates confidence. And to watch his confidence is – it's not something literally you can see, but you know it when you see it. And to see him do what he did, I thought that the opportunity to just take over and knowing that, well, I don't have my second leading score, so it's going to be me, I think really, really benefits the Jazz in the long term to see Mitchell just step up like that. Well, I think he's wanted to always obviously be the leader here. And when you have games like that, I mean, I watched him. I watched the end of that game, and I didn't see the whole game, but I watched a good portion of it. And uh, it was really clear. Every time there was a timeout, he's in somebody's ear. He's talking to somebody, and and it wasn't just Rudy Gobert. I mean, it was everybody. And when you make big baskets like that, you know, guys understand. I mean, this is Donovan Mitchell's team. I mean, it's not a one-man team, but it is his team, and there's an expectation for him to step up and make those kind of plays. And when he does, it just reinforces already what we already all know and that he is the best player on this team. And it, it just creates a, an atmosphere of, uh, of leadership that guys are more prone. And, and this is a, culturally is a really good team. I mean, there's not a lot of attitude issues or problems with this group of guys. But Donovan Mitchell has established himself as being the guy on this team that takes those shots. And he made big shots. I think for me, the biggest disappointment was uh, with, you know, he, he took blame himself on shooting it too early, but I don't know if you can have that much control over those types of things. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I, I was disappointed in the last three seconds when 
you know, we, we let their best player get the ball and go right to the hoop and without I know they spread the floor and did some things, but that was way too easy. Way, way too easy. And uh, I think that game's over and they win that game if, if they come down and double or they do something different, make somebody else beat them other than a layup at the rim with, you know, just half of a second left. You know, coaching college is a different deal than the NBA, and the NBA is so matchup driven, 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 and it's such an isolation game now. But when they're having a eleven and a half minute run where they score ten points, do you like taking the ball out of Donovan's hands and letting other guys run stuff, or at least try to get the ball to him in different places? Because they still had some. I, I know they're missing Bogdanovich, and obviously that hurt, and he could have maybe gotten him some buckets in that run in the fourth quarter. But they still got Mike Conley and Joe Ingles out there, who maybe could give them a different look, break that really bad flow they had going for a while, or just keep giving it to Donovan because he's going to get hot at some point, as he obviously did. Well, I, I think you look at that two ways. One, I would say as a coach that the more people you have involved, the better off you're going to be. And I think even looking down the road, you can make statements about Conley and Ingles and everybody kind of – I think everybody on this team kind of understands their role. And I think Conley is beginning to accept that role and shoot that thing. He's playing with more confidence. Ingles played more with more confidence. I think everybody understands the roles and those kinds of things. So for me personally – I like to see people involved when it's coming down to crunch time and it's 15 seconds or 10 seconds. Everybody kind of knows who's going to get the ball. And then it's, it, it, you know, it behooves Donovan Mitchell that if they come and double him to make the very best pass, not to force up a bad shot. I mean, he's not doing that. But uh, I do believe that in games, especially early on in games, and I'm not even talking about just the first half, but early on in the second half, you've got to get as many people involved as possible because Donovan Mitchell is going to have the full attention Every starting report is going to be about what we've got to do to take the ball out of his hands, either late in the game or late in the shot clock. And so the more confident this group is by allowing others to be participating, uh, I, I think is a benefit and is a plus for the Jazz. Uh, and, and Donovan Mitchell is a pretty unselfish guy. I mean, he, he's not going to take – he doesn't take a lot of bad shots. But I, I think getting Ingles and Conley involved in the game early and in the middle and late is always a good thing. But I think everybody kind of understands. And, and Jordan Clarkson, I mean, he's got as much, he's probably got more confidence than Ingles and Conley in terms of what he does and how he does it coming off the bench. So, uh, no, I, I like getting those guys involved. The more people involved, the better. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's Donovan Mitchell's a guy that people are going to come double. And uh, he's hard to stay in front of. I mean, it's hard to defend him in the open court or in the half court if there's not help. So you're going to see more of that. And, uh, and uh, you know, if I'm coaching against the Jazz, it's like let's have somebody else beat me besides Donovan Mitchell. And we'll do everything I can to make it really difficult for him and make Ingles and Connolly beat me. I mean, that's kind of how you approach the Jazz. How about Portland, man? I'm looking forward to them. You think uh, – I assume they're going to beat Memphis and get into the actual playoff. How much do you think they can give the Lakers a run for their money? i tell you what. Uh, so I, I've, it's a little bit stuck here because I'm obviously a Clippers fan with Paul George being there, and I've gotten to know some of the guys, and and so you know I, I'm, that's kind of where I'm at. But I've all you know I've been a Laker line, my, a fan my whole life, so there's part of me that really likes the Lakers. What I'm seeing right now of the Lakers is kind of scary. I mean, I honestly, 
it's uh, to watch them play right now. And I, I realize that LeBron is, it has the capacity to take over games, but they, their outside perimeter shooting is horrible. And, and I think that long-term, I, I don't think they can win this thing the way they've been playing in these early games uh, and, and barely getting by. So if I'm Portland and I, I have a chance to play the Lakers when, and where, where the Lakers guards really are really average, you know, and, I mean, Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith, man, if, if they're waiting on those guys, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. I mean, I, I'm not going to go on any sort of that, but those guys aren't good enough. They're good enough to make a basket here and there and make a big play when three guys are guarding LeBron. But for the most part, their perimeter play has been bad. And Kuzma's done some really good things, he's, but he's up and down, and defensively he's kind of a liability at times. Uh, I just, I'm telling you right now, it would not surprise me. I don't think it'll happen, but Portland's a team that has got to be really scary for the Lakers. Because they've got size now, they're healthy, and it looks like Damian Lillard is, is playing with a lot more confidence here in the last couple of days. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. And I, and I know the world will see that as the Lakers are going to that, – that's a win for the Lakers, and they win a seven – you know, are they, I'm assuming they're still playing seven-game series. Yep. They haven't changed that. Yep. So uh, I don't know. I, I don't like the way the Lakers are playing. And, uh, and part of that's just a personal bias because – I have a lot. I'm, my expectations of that team is more than it is, but their guard play is, is dysfunctional, and uh, and it's not to say that AD and LeBron can't do it on their own, and they, they may well do it on their own, but they they are not on firm ground as far as I'm concerned. And playing a team like Portland, who has nothing to lose and has really good guard play, and now has bigs to guard their bigs, uh, it'll be an interesting game. So I'm curious about both the L.A. teams because with the Lakers, I'm wondering, well, were we not looking close enough when they were dominating before the break and pulling away by five games? Were we not looking closely enough? Or they miss Avery Bradley that much. He's such a glue guy. Or LeBron's coasting right now. He's just coasting. He's going to turn it up and nothing else is going to matter. And then over there, I look at the Clippers and think they haven't had their whole group together. Will it actually be a problem when they have more guys together who want more playing time and want more shots? Or is Kawhi going to look at them all and tell them to just shut up and it's going to work out? <laughs> well, the, all of the above. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think, first of all, I think, first of all, Avery Badley is. Uh, is missed defensively. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, there was a time when J.R. Smith was a pretty good defender, you know, and, uh, but th- th- defensively they do miss him and they miss his experience. So, yes, I do believe it. I also believe that LeBron is, uh, is going to be at a different level. There, there's no question about it. But at some point in time, you know, you let teams stay close enough to you, they get more confidence. And I, I just don't see – uh, a, a group of guys that has shot the ball consistently from the three that can play good teams. Now, with the Clippers, with the Clippers, you know, I, I think the biggest issue there is, you know, they just haven't been together. I still believe if they're healthy and together that they defend and can score. And certainly uh, you've got firepower there. I, I think it, it, it's a situation right now, too, with the Clippers. Get, getting Harrell in, getting him back is huge, man. I mean, he defends, he can rebound. He's a glue guy, and, and he can go for 20 a night. And so not having him, Patrick Beverly, 
you know, there, there he's been in and out of the lineup for injuries and a variety of other things. But at the end of the day, he doesn't have as much of an impact on a game as, as the big fellow does inside and what he can do. So when they, if they can get him back and then it looks like he's there and he's, he's got a quarantine for three or four days, I still believe that uh, they're the team to beat. Uh, but you're right. Uh, not having been together and not having that chemistry, who knows? And the uniqueness about this thing, too, is with no home court advantage, really, somebody gets hurt, it can be way more devastating. I mean, you're up 3-2 and you're trying to close this thing out and your best player is not playing uh, and, and you're, you're the quote-unquote the home team, but playing on a neutral court, there isn't that advantage like there is in the past where you might be able to get by without a good player because of the fans and the environment and that, and everybody gets pumped up. But there's, there's not a lot of energy in that building. And so it's going to be hard to create when good players aren't playing. What do you think of these uh, college kids trying to, in a, in a sense, uh, exert some leverage here and trying to make some demands in the conferences? And now we're talking about not even playing the sports. It seems like it's it's very complicated. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm uh, I, I mean, I understand that everyone has the right to um, voice their opinion, and uh, when when especially when things aren't right. And and we know you, you both know that things aren't perfect in the NC2A, all right. And and I think with all that's gone on in our in our country, um, the door has been open wide open now to express any grievance, to express any. Uh, any kind of discrimination of, of any type uh, at any level. And, uh, and I think that the NBA, you know, has done a good job in terms of their message. It's very clear. They made it very clear that this was going to be a time when they could share their feelings and the things that have gone on. I'm, I'm concerned a little bit about the process and the, you know, if we don't get our, you know, you only meet our demands, then we're not going to play. We're not going to be a part of this. Where, you know, where is the sitting down and negotiating and having conversations? And, and maybe they are now, but it, it, it almost seems reactionary. You know, we're going to jump on the bandwagon of all of this other that's going on in our country. When in fact, it's like, let's take a step back here. We already have a pandemic, which is driving everybody crazy. Okay. Our world is upside down as we know it in sports. And I, I think people are taking advantage of this and in a situation, in a circumstance where they do have, they're entitled to a perspective. I'm not saying the student athletes are compensated necessarily correctly or always treated well or all of those kinds of things or things that they're looking for. But I, I'm not sure that with all that we got going on that in that platform, uh, and I, I think they do have leverage because there's a big question mark right now whether or not college football is even going to happen or college basketball or anything else. So, I mean, it, it feels a little bit like piling on, even though I would say this, that there are some legitimate concerns and I think they need to be addressed and talked about, but throwing it all on the top of all, everything else that's going on, it's like the timing doesn't seem great, but they may feel like they've got the leverage. They're going to walk away from it. And I think what ends up happening at the end of the day, those student-athletes, there'll be some regret when they don't have a chance to play. It hinders their opportunities to play at the next level. And there's a lot more negative that comes out from it right now with everything else that's going on. I know that all the attention's there, so they figure, hey, we got everybody's ear right now. 
let's file every grievance and every inappropriate thing that's ever happened in NC2A sports, and let's change this thing right now. And it's hard to make changes that quickly. There are changes that need to be made, but let's do it appropriately in a, in a more timely fashion rather than uh, you know putting a gun to guys' heads and saying, hey, if you don't do this, we're going to do that. So I saw a couple of uh, quotes <clears throat> tweeted out on Sunday that said uh, one was from a Power 5 AD to a national college football writer, and I forget which one, but it was you know one of the – I don't know, half dozen, dozen guys who write all the time, is that you guys are missing the point. This is not about politics, Trump, health, and liability. This is about the entire college model being threatened by this group of Pac-12 athletes, and they're going to shut it down and regroup because they don't have a strategy to, to, to deal with it. And I guess the thinking there would be, and it's a text, so you don't get everything into it. It's a text that becomes a tweet, right? So, but it's kind of like, hey, we're already up against the wall on these health issues. We got people, you know, our regents, our faculty who think we should be playing and some who think we should and we're in the middle of it. Now we're getting this. If we shut it down for a year, 25% of these kids are gone. And then another 25% of them will be like, ooh, I already missed one year. I don't want to miss two. We'll have the upper hand again. You buy that? Right. Yeah, well, here, here's here's the deal. That may be their thinking, but uh, what you said prior to that is, is the idea that, be, you know, you start playing with fire here, you be careful how it impacts. Am I, is there an NC2A reform needed? Yes. And, and there are lots of things that can be addressed, and there's not, I don't have any issue with them bringing these things up. I have an issue with leverage, and we're not going to come, and we're not going to come to the party, and we're not going to do this, and we're not going to do that. You know, where was this six months ago, nine months ago, a year? Why is it more appropriate now than it was a year ago? You know, well, it, it appears to me there's grandstanding here. There, there is jumping on the bandwagon when we, you know, we, there's so many issues going on right now in our world. I, I started looking, driving around in my community and looking at all the, the businesses, the small businesses and the people who do not have money and do not have work do not, and, and, and they can't pay the bills. Uh, there are far more important things going on in this country than what's happening to those few college student athletes. You know, you want let, let's address the most important things right now. Number one, let's find a vaccine and you know take care of this this pandemic and get this thing right. But uh, let's make sure that it doesn't destroy the economy of our entire country here. And I, I, I think the empathy I see as I drive around and I see people and I hear stories and I read things is I can't imagine. I cannot imagine all of a sudden I can't make my payments. I can't pay for my house. I can't. I don't have a job. I, I, I'm getting a little bit of unemployment checks and I appreciate that money, but I can't get by. I mean, there are people that do not have, you know, uh, COVID-19 that are really suffering because of the economy. So it's hard for me to have a great deal of sympathy. I should, have, I should always have empathy for everyone, and, and, I, and I try to, but there are so many bigger and larger things going on in this life than uh, a group of four or five or 600 college athletes in the Pac-12 who want their demands met right now. You know what, man? I want a vaccine. I want to see people healthy again. I want to see people that are out of work getting jobs. I want to see families come together and support each other. There are far more important things than, than that. And I'm not saying that they don't have value and don't have importance, but why now? Why now? You know, just the, the leveraging of it is, uh, to me, is inappropriate and distasteful. 
Steve, we appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, guys. Have a good week.